introduction in august 2019 a wall street journal nbc news poll chronicling changing consensus on values was released this is introduction by the way of who is my neighbor and on ethology and natural rights by thomas ackard and daryl dow the values that america says define the national characters are changing as younger generations rate patriotism religion and having children is less important to them than they did young people two decades ago wrote the journal chad's day there's an emerging America where issues like children, religion, and patriotism are far less important. And in America, it's the emerging generation that calls the shots about where the country is headed. And then they have on page 39 a list of facts regarding that. The survey measure changing attitude in a number of key variables from 1999 to 2019. While hard work remains a priority for many Americans, the share of Americans listing other traditional values have fallen substantially. Some 61% cited patriotism as very important to them, down 9% point from 1998, while 50% cited religion, down 12 points. Some 43% placed a high value on having children, down 16 points from 1998. And at the same time, there have been a sharp spike in the placings of high values and community involvement, rising to 62% from 47%. But if churches and family are less valued, how will communities survive, let alone thrive? This is akin to cutting off a man's legs and asking him to jump. The social consequence of these changing attitudes are cataclysmic. The deep and growing antipathy towards children and the responsibility of rearing them is a grave implication that are not merely culturally toxic, but also an instrument of national suicide. It is also worth noting that these issues are connecting, connected philosophically and practically. The attack on property and family has gone hand in glove with attacks on traditional ancestral religions since the Enlightenment. When one encounters zany political hallucinations, their gen genesis can most often be explained by Chesterton's quip, people who don't believe in God will believe anything. Less God yields less patriotism and fewer babies. It should come as no surprise that parents are more religious, patriotic, and traditional than non-parents. But this process works in reverse, too. Fewer children and less patriotism yields less God. The organic connection between these issues is more often recognized by the children of darkness than the children of light. The attack upon the redemptive redefinition of the family has an ultimate target, the family of faith, Christ Church. The attempt to deconstruct the patriarchy seeks to diminish masculinity and degender what little is left of traditional manhood. But the real objective is to subvert the fatherhood of God and the sonship of Christ. <clears throat> Such examples could be multiplied, but the point is relatively simple. The subversion of natural and organic connections, family, nation, etc. has spiritual implications. The goal is the subversion of Christian nations and the culture produced by Christendom. The ultimate target is Christianity itself. The way forward means reconciliation recognizing that the world in which we are born includes families, institutions, and nations that are structured hierarchically. Likewise, our duties within these structures, i.e. justice, are hierarchical in nature. To live with piety is to accept our place in the structure of reality, favoring the near over the far. The implication is that we have obligations to our families, neighbors, and countrymen over strangers and foreigners. <clears throat> our families and neighbors are more valuable than smartphones and cheap toys. Favoring the far off over the nearby is impious. We owe duties to our fathers because they are our fathers and to our fatherland because it is our fatherland. This is piety and gratitude. 
pastors, priests, and professors wailing about the idolatry of the family and wringing their hands about the dangers of nationalism or white privilege are doing more to undermine Christianity than the Marxist professor or critical theorist at the local university. Rarely do they exhibit horizontal gratitude towards those who came before them. Don't hold your breath when asked to asking any feminist what she's thankful for. Christianity, however, deems such a virtue of fruit of the Spirit and one of the Ten Commandments. Our fathers, being both spiritual and temporal, understood the implicit connections between loving God, family, and fatherland. They understood piety. To honor father and mother and to live with a thankful joy are touchstones of godliness. <clears throat> Yet modern man hears the word piety and pictures something that is individualistic and otherworldly. Biblical and classical piety are more comprehensive and earthly in scope. In the ancient and medieval world, there is not a division between secular and spiritual spheres, and they do not define religious ob obligations in strictly vertical ways. One cannot achieve supernatural virtue while ignoring natural obligations. Piety is justice. It is giving what is owed to fathers, neighbors, and our people. If we fail to honor our earthly father, we cannot rightly honor our heavenly father. We also live in an age where the decisive political and cultural struggle is between the forces of globalism and nationalism. <clears throat> with the end of the Cold War, a dawn of economic, political, and cultural liberalization was set to rise like a phoenix soaring from the ashes. A new world order was slouching forth to be born under the watchful guidance of a cosmopolitan and transnational elite. But the dream of a new Babel, concocted in the fiery imagination of scribblers, intellectuals, politicos, and global site elites, were found to have dissolved, giving way to Donald Trump, Brexit, NATO, Slavini, Viktor Orban, and Yellow Vest protests. Globalism has run aground on the rocks of a population populist-fueled nationalism. What comes next? <clears throat> the rising tide of nationalism and populism ought to be a great encouragement to Christians and other conservatives of a traditional bent. Yet the reaction of Christians, not merely liberals, but conservatives as well, has been pensive, if not downright hostile. How should Christians respond to this new wave of nationalism escalating across the globe? It is the object of idolatry or a national ethnicity and tribalism an integral part of God's economy and our piety. Our hope is to provide readers the barest foretaste of how our ancestors thought about those questions. How to use page 43. This work is considered a reference in his bias and is to be seen and used as such. Sources are arranged firstly by era, secondly by geography or nation, and thirdly by theme. For instance, during the Middle Ages, the authors are grouped as they appear in time in a given location. However, some groupings were better served thematically first. So poets, economists, historians, and the like are each contained in their own sections. <clears throat> we arrange the literature section according to nations or genre as we saw fit. The great number of sources make it difficult to find one neat arrangement. It is recommended to use the table of contents for faster searching. Also, not every quotation, author, or other authorial works are fully represented or endorsed. Some works are too voluminous to be included in total, and one, a small portion, are here displayed. Those interested should use this as a springboard for further study. <clears throat> Lastly, the study is an ongoing project one that has spanned some 10 years of personal, professional, and academic research. Such works as deemed fit to, the to enter the anthology will be produced 
in an updated edition at a further date in another five or ten years from the publication. We wanted to get this work out at its present stage for the increased demand and need of others to understand their present and past. Thus, this anthology is intended to serve a cause we believe to be centuries in the making and in current development. All right, that is the end of the introduction and how to use on Who is My Neighbor and Anthology in Natural Relations by Thomas Akert and Daryl Dow. I had started this previously, but um, I'm, as I say later, technologically a boomer, um, and I'm not very good. And I don't, somehow I messed up my publication. So here we go again. All right. Um, I'm going to start over reading Who is My Neighbor? An Anthology in Natural Rights by Thomas Akerd and Daryl Dow. Um, largely because I don't know how I'm technologically a boomer, according to my husband. And I managed to lose the publication that I was doing. So um, we will just start over. Uh, ancient Greco-Romans is the part that I'm reading right now. That's on page 45 of the book. The shield of Achilles above depicts common Greek life in the Bronze Age period. Homer's Iliad tells each detail forged upon the work. Two cities, one with a wedding, another with a battle, farmer and countryside, gods and river ocean. The Greek conception of the hero was the one who, among other things, represented his nation or people. Achilles, bearing the scene of everyday Greek life, therefore placed symbolic imagery in the quotidian of the forefront of this famous epic. It is perhaps more iconic since Achilles gave up these things to pursue glory in a short life in war. Hence the Iliad sings of the rage of Achilles that burned Troy in his own life. However, some have suggested that Achilles redeemed himself upon his repentance at Perium's visit. Virgil would pick up on this shield imagery when Aeneas gets his own shield depicting the future of Rome. For the ancient world, then the for the ancient world, then the things for which men fight, the places from which they come, the ideals that carry on their shoulders, are those of these people, their gods, and their common lives together. Homer, are the sons of Atreus the only men in the world who love their wives? Any man of common right feeling will love and cherish her who is his own, as I this woman with my whole heart, though she was bent on fruiting of my spear. The Iliad, Book Nine. I am at home in sunny Ithaca. There is a mountain there that stands tall, leaf trembling near Rytus, and there are islands settled around it, lying one very close to another. There is Dulcian, the same wooded Zeknithos, but my island lies low and away, last of all in the water towards the dark, with the rest below facing eastern sunshine. A rugged place, but a good nurse of men. For my part, I cannot think of any place sweeter on earth to look at. Of truth, Calypso, the beautiful goddess, sought to keep me by her in her hollow caves, yearning that I should be her husband, and in like manner, Circe would fain have held me back in her halls of guileful lady of Axia, yearning that I should be her husband, but they could never persuade the heart within my breast, so true it is it that naught is sweeter than a man's own land and his parents, even though it be in a rich house, though he dwells afar in a foreign land away from his parents. Odyssey, Book 9 Aeschylus and Cyprus, you who are the first mother of our race, defend us who are sprung from your blood. We come to you crying out in prayer for your divine ears. 7 against Thebes, 128. 
Pindar. A woman is killed by Apollos because she abandoned her husband doing so because she loved what was distant. Tyrion's mother, the daughter of Phlegius, with the fine horse before she could bring him to term with the help of Eleuthia, who attends on childbirth, was stricken by the golden arrow of Artemis in her bedroom and descended to the house of Hades by the skills of Apollo. The anger of the children of Zeus is but in, is not in vain, but she made light of Apollo in the error of her mind and consented to another marriage without her father's knowledge, although she had before lain with Phobius of the unshorn hair and was bearing within her the pure seed of gold. She did not wait for the marriage feast to come, nor for the full voice cry of the hymnal chorus, such things as unmarried girls their own age love to murmur in evening songs to their companion. Instead, she was in love with that which was distant. Many others have felt the passion. There is a worthless tribe among men who dishonors what is at home and looks far away, hunting down empty air, with hopes that cannot be fulfilled. Such is the strong infatuation that the spirit of lovely-robed Coronius had caught, for she lay in the bed of a stranger who came from Arcadia, but she did not elude the watcher, Pythian. Plato has a philosopher like you failed to discover that our country is more to be valued in higher and holier far than mother or father or any ancestor, and more to be regarded in the eyes of the God and of man of understanding, also to be soothed and gently and reverently entreated when angry, even more than a father, and if not persuaded, obeyed? And when we are punished by her, whether with imprisonment or stripes, the punishment is to be endured in silence, and if she leads us to wounds or death in battle, whither we follow is as is right neither many <clears throat> neither may anyone yield or retreat or leave his ranks but whether in battle or in corps of law or in any other place he must do what his city and his country order him or he must change their views for what is just and if he may do no violence to his father or mother much less may he do violence to his country crito there is an element of friendship in the community of race, language, and laws in the common temples of rites of worship, but colonies which are of this homogeneous sort are apt to kick against any law or any form of constitution differing from that which they had at home. Laws, Book 4. To these duties enjoins that the debtor should pay back the first and greatest of debts, the most primary of all dues, and that he should acknowledge all that he owns and has belongs to those who begot and reared him. Laws, Book 4. As regards duties to children, relations, friends, and citizens, and those of service done to strangers for heaven's sake, and the social intercourse with all those classes, by fulfilling which a man should brighten his own life and order it, as the law enjoins, the sequel of the laws themselves, partly by persuasion and partly, which men's habit deftly defy persuasion, by forcible and just chastisement, will render our state with the concurrence of the gods a blessed state and a proper spirit. Prosperous laws before. <clears throat> By paying Homer and reverence to his kinsfolk and all who share in the worship of the tribal gods and are sprung from the same blood, a man will, in proportion to his piety, secure the goodwill of the gods of birth to bless his own begetting of children. Moreover, a man will find his friends and companions kindly disposed in regards to life intercourse. If he sets higher than they do the value and importance of the service he received from them, while counting the favors he confers on them as of less value than they are deemed by his companions and friends themselves. 
In relation to his state and fellow citizens, the man is by far the best who is preferred to a victory at Olympia or any other contest of war or peace should, would choose to have a victorious reputation for service to his native laws as being the one man above all others who has deserved with him the distinction throughout his life. Laws, Book 5. <clears throat> Do you know I said that the government vary at the disposition of men vary, and that there must be as many of the one as there are of the other? For we cannot support the states are made of oak and rock, and not out of the human nature which are in them, and which in a figure turn the scale and draw other things after them. Republic, Book 8. <clears throat> and we will stop there. Uh, continuing to read from Who is My Neighbor? An Anthology in Natural Relations by Thomas Ackert and Daryl Dow, starting at page 49, Aristotle. The family is the association established by nature for the supply of men's everyday wants. But when several families are united and the association aims at something more than the supply of daily needs, the first society to be formed is the village. And the most natural form of the village appears to be the, that of a colony for the family composed of the children and grandchildren who are said to be suckled with the same milk. And this is the reason why Hellenic states were originally governed by kings, because the Hellens were under royal rule before they came together. Every family is ruled by the eldest, and therefore in the colonies of the family the kingly forms of the government prevailed because the words were of the same blood. As Homer says, each one gives laws to his children and to his wives. Politi Politics, Book 1. When several villages are united in a single complete community, large enough to be nearly or quite self-sufficing, the state comes into existence. Originating in the bare needs of life and continuing in the existence for the sake of a good life. And therefore, if the earlier forms of society are natural, so is the state. For it is the end of them, and the nature of things is its end. For what each thing is, when fully developed, we call its nature. Whether we are speaking of a man, a horse, or a family, besides the final cause and end of things is the best, and to be self-sufficing is at the end of the best, and the best. Hence, it is evident that the state is a creation of nature, and that man by the nature a political animal, and he who by nature and not by mere accident is without a state is either a bad man or above humanity. Politics, Book 1. <clears throat> In the first place, there must be a union of those who cannot exist without each other, namely of male and female, that the race may continue, and this is the union which is formed not of deliberate purpose, but because, in common with the other animals and with plants, Mankind has a natural desire to leave behind them an image of themselves and of natural ruler and subject that both may be preserved. Politics, Book 1. Another cause of, the, of revolution is differences of races, which do not at once acquire a common spirit. For a state is not the growth of a day, and more than it grows out of multitude brought together by accident. Hence, the reception of strangers and colonies, either at the time of their foundation or afterwards, has generally produced revolution. Politics, Book 5. Heterogeneity of, sto of stocks may lead to faction, at any rate, until they have had time to assimilate. 
A city cannot be constituted from any chance collection of people or any chance period of time. Most of the cities which have admitted settlers, either at the time of their foundation or later, have been troubled by faction. For example, the Achaeans joined the settlers from Chosen in founding Siberias, but expelled them when their own numbers increased and this involved their city in a curse. At Thierry, the Sybrites quarreled with the other settlers who had joined them in the colonizations. They demanded special privileges on the grounds that they were the owner of the territory and were driven out of the colony. At Byzantinium, the later settlers were detected in the conspiracy against the original colonists and were expelled by force in a similar expulsion of the public exiles from Chios, who were admitted to Antissa by the original colonists. At Zankel, on the other hand, the original colonists were themselves expelled by the Simeans, whom they admitted. At Apollonia, in the Black Sea, factional conflict was caused by the introduction of new settlers. At Syracuse, the conferring of civic rights on aliens and mercenaries at the end of the period of the tyrants led to sedation and civil war. And at Amphipolis, the original citizens, after admitting the Chalcedian colonists were nearly all expelled by the colonists they had admitted. Politics, Book 5. Other measures which are also useful in constructing this last and most extreme type of democracy were measures like those introduced by Clisthenes at Athens when he sought to advance the cause of democracy or those who were taken by the founders of popular government at Cyrene. A number of these new tribes and clans should be instituted by the side of the old. Private cults should be reduced to number and the conduct at common centers and every contrivance should be employed to make all the citizens mix as much as they possibly can and to break down their old loyalties. All the measures adopted by tyrants may equally be regarded as congealed to democracy. We may cite as example the license allowed to slaves which up to a point may be advantageous as well as congeal congenial, the license permitted to women and children, and the policy of confining at the practice of living as you like, there is much to assist a con constitution of this sort, for most people find more pleasure in living without discipline than they find in a life of temperance. Politics, Book 6. It is the habit of tyrants never to like anyone who has a spirit of dignity and independence. The tyrant claims a monopoly of each qualities for himself. He feels that anybody who asserts a rival dignity or acts with independence is threatening his own superiority and the despotic power of his tyranny. He hates him, accordingly, as a subverter of his own authority. It is also a habit of tyrants to prefer the company of aliens to that of citizens at table in society. Citizens, they feel, are enemies, but aliens will offer no opposition. Politics, Book 5. The guard of a legitimate king is composed of citizens, that if of a tyrant is composed of foreigners. Politics, Book 5. <clears throat> Yet it is clear that if the process of unification, making all things in common, as in Plato's Republic, i.e. communalism, advances beyond a certain point, the city will not be a city at all, for a state essentially consists of a multitude of persons. And, if its unification is carried beyond a certain point, city will be reduced to family and family to individual, for we should pronounce the family to be a more complete unity than the city and the single person than the family. 
so that even if the lawgivers were able to unify the state, he must not do so, for he will destroy it in the process. Politics, book two. <clears throat> the best political community is formed by citizens of the middle class, and those, and that those states are likely to be well administered, in which the middle class is large and stronger, if possible, than both the other classes, or at any rate than either singly. For the addition of the middle class turns the scale and prevents either of the extremes from becoming dominant. Great, then, is the good fortune of a state in which the citizens have a moderate and sufficient property. For where some possess much and others nothing, there may arise an extreme democracy or a pure oligarchy or a tyranny may grow out of either extreme, either wild of the most rampant democracy or out of oligarchy, but it is not so likely to rise out of the middle constitutions and those akin to them. Politics, Book 4. <clears throat> the good of man must be the end of the science of politics, for even though it be the case that the good is the same for the individual and for the state, nevertheless the good of the state is manifestly a greater and more perfect good both to attain and to preserve. To secure the good of one person only is better than nothing, but to secure the good of a nation or a state is a nobler and more divine achievement. This, then, being its aim, our investigation is, in a sense, the study of politics. Ethics, book one and two. No, book one point two. Friendship is concerned with the same object as those which are the sphere of justice. For in every partnership we find mutual rights of some sort, and also friendly feelings. One notes that shipmates and fellow soldiers speak of each other as my friend, and so, in fact, do the partners in any joint undertaking. But their friendship is limited to the extent of their association in their common business, for so also are the mutual rights as associates. Again, the proverb says, friends, goods are common property, and this is correct, since community is the essence of friendship. Brothers have all things in common, and do so do members of comradeship. Other friends hold special possessions in common, more or fewer in different cases, inasmuch as friendships vary in degree. The claims of justice also differ in different relationships. The mutual rights of parents and children are not the same as those between brothers, and obligations of members of a comradeship are not the same as those of fellow citizens, and similarly with the other form of friendship. And justice, therefore, also is differently constituted in each of these relationships. Wrong is increasingly serious in proportion as it is done to a nearer friend. For example, it is more shocking to defraud a comrade of money than a fellow citizen, or to refuse aid to a brother than it is to a stranger, or to strike one's father than to strike anybody else. Similarly, it is natural that the claims of justice should also increase with the nearness of the friendship, since friendship and justice exist between the same person and are coextensive in range. Ethics, Book 8.9 Aristotle in on friendship as a prerequisite for state cohesion. We may even in our travels hear how near and dear every man is to every other. Friendship seems to also hold states together and lawgivers to care more for it than for justice. For unanimity seems to be something like friendship and this is the aim at most of all and expel faction as the worst enemy. And when men are friends they have no need of justice. Well, when they are need well, while when they are just, they need friendship as well. And the truest form of justice is that to be of a friendly quality. Ethics, Book 8. <clears throat> it is our duty to render to each class of people 
such respect as it is natural and appropriate. This is, in fact, the principle upon which we seem to act, for we invite our relations to a wedding. It would seem to be a special duty to afford our parents the meaning, means of living and to honor them. Ethics, book 9.2. Xenophon. Nations naturally have a king of their own people. The Scythian king, for instance, would never be able to extend his rule over any other nations besides his own, although the Scythians are very numerous. But he would well be content if he could maintain himself a power over his own people. So the Thracian king with his Thracians and the Illyrian with his Illyrians. And so all other nations, we are told. Those in Europe, at any rate, are said to be free and independent of one another, even to this day. Cryopedia 1.1. And we will stop there because the next one is another longer section. Um, so we stopped on page 53 and we will resume on page 54.